0: It's the TEH Podcast, episode number 201, with Leo Notenboom of AskLeo.com and Gary Rosenzweig of Macmos.com. This week, privacy and paranoia, VPN when traveling, and passphrases. And we're back. Hi, Gary. How's it been going? Uh,
1: pretty good. Uh, rested up after a bit of a vacation.
0: Yeah, we were uh, off for... So I actually had this um, interesting math problem. Mm-hmm. We... Uh, it's been three weeks since mm-hmm. we released a podcast. However, does that mean um, I guess it really just means we skipped two, but it feels like three, right? Right. Yeah, <laughs> it's, very it's like bizarre. three
1: minus one hour.
0: <laughs> yeah <laughs> um, It's very bizarre. I had the same um, the same conundrum with something I'll talk about here in a few minutes. Um, but yeah, so uh, you've been traveling. Mm-hmm. Uh, I've not. Uh, I've been staying at home and doing things. One of the things that happened the Saturday after our last podcast is I hosted the 19th annual Pacific Northwest Corgi Picnic, um, where we had 100 corgis running around our backyard. And, (laughs) you know, and with owners, of course. (laughs) Um, So that was kind of a blast. I'll throw a link to uh, some photos uh, taken by many of the guests um, into the show notes, but, uh, that basically it's, you know, it's four hours of activity, but it's like a day and a half of prep. And then three days of very relaxed cleanup afterwards, I got to tell people that, yes, I have the poop of a hundred corgis. Don't piss me off.
1: <laughs> so, <laughs> My goodness, yeah. yeah.
0: Um, but other than that, you know, she's been one of those, uh, those couple of weeks where, you know, stuff's been happening. You on the other hand have had a much more exciting time, more exciting, perhaps even than a hundred corgis.
1: <laughs> well, I don't know about that, but um, but yeah, I took a a, a trip to Spain uh, this year, family trip, uh, and it was good. It was on the south coast, the Costa del Sol, which is uh, a well-known vacation spot for Europeans mm-hmm. and for almost all Americans. They're like, where? Um, <laughs> it's just one of those, you know. It's it's a marketing thing, right? You know. Right. The funny thing is, when you travel the world, you learn that it's not just about like the place and its relation, to everything else, it's where it's marketed. Mm-hmm. And there are places that are simply either not marketed to Americans or when, you know, you're in another country, another place isn't marketed to them, that kind of thing. And um, so, yeah, Americans uh, have plenty of places to go to get uh, sun and beach, the Caribbean, uh, Florida. Uh, Hawaii, uh, and then all of, you know, uh, Central America, for instance, without having to leave the continent. And so the idea of like traveling to Spain to go to, uh, you know, the beach mm-hmm. is, uh, it's just not worth the marketing. So you don't, so the weird thing is, is you don't have this awareness, uh, you know, and also, so when you get there, you find you just, there are no other Americans, which is interesting. Plenty of people speaking English, right? but with British accents, um. So, yeah, you find yourself the only American anywhere that you could find. And when you hear an American accent, you kind of perk up. And then you find out that it's an American that's been living for 20 years in France or something. Right, right, Um, right. Yeah, so so that was interesting. Um, I know that
0: um, amongst my relatives in Holland, um, Spain was absolutely a popular uh, destination for for summer vacations, as well as um, some of the islands off the coast, Spanish-owned, I think, island.
1: Ibiza, yeah.
0: And, you know, off the coast of Spain and then actually off the coast of, uh, Morocco as well, I think for even further South. So, yeah, indeed, yeah. yeah. I yeah. mean, th- those are all places that you just don't hear about here, but it's no their equivalent you, for sure. No, yeah. you
1: don't. I mean, I went to, you know, uh, there and it's beautiful and sunny and uh, fantastic beaches and all of that. Mm-hmm. Um, and very, uh, I don't know, just pleasant, uh, to be an easy place to be and all of that. But, uh, yeah, you just don't hear about it. And, uh, but besides that, not, not much from a technology standpoint, except for yet another another vacation, another round of dealing with VPN, <laughs> <laughs> which we had talked about before. Right. Uh, but I found there was a new element. And I as, when I was on a vacation in the United States earlier this summer, mm-hmm. I also kind of dealt with it, but mm-hmm. I really dealt with it hardcore over there. We, we've talked before about, you know, like, I don't really use VPNs except when I travel. I right. trust my Wi-Fi. It's my right. device. I've <laughs> configured it, right? Yep. I I'm not too concerned about the fact that DNS is kind of leaky. So people can tell what, you know, if somebody really wanted to at a company, they could tell what website you've gone to, but not what you did at the website, which right for me is kind of boring. Like I go to Apple, go to Google, go to, you know, yeah, Amazon. Yeah. I mean, it's, you know, you're not going to learn much about me by just knowing well, that at worst, they'll figure
0: out which bank you go to. Maybe. Yeah,
1: yeah, exactly. And which again is probably not that hard considering it's a popular bank. So, um, but uh, you know, there's certain things that, uh, you know, a VPN will do to protect you, but most of those happen are kind of taken care of by the fact that SSL is ubiquitous now right. i mean whether you're going to your bank or going to a blog where somebody is talking about you know model trains mm-hmm. and that's all it is and you don't even log into it it's going to be ssl protected right. um and yeah so that part of vpn is really needed but when i travel i do like a little extra layer of security and also um you know, I don't trust the, the Wi-Fi necessarily. Mm-hmm. So so there's that. But SSL still kind of takes care of it. But, you know, ha- it, VPNs are cheap and they should be easy to just turn on and forget about. Yep. Except they're not. <laughs> when you're home, if you really want to add that extra layer of security to your home, they actually are easy to turn on. It's ironic, right, at home when you really don't need them it's easy to turn them on and forget about them. When right. traveling, it's not because hotel Wi-Fi sucks in terms of access. Usually you have to authenticate in some way, you know, your last name and room number, whatever. Right. Which you have the, to do with the VPN turned off, which I always right. find sometimes, frustratingly Sometimes, don't. Yeah. I mean,
0: it, it's frustrating because what that means is that all of these run-in-the-background services are happily communicating exactly. or trying to communicate anyway.
1: Exactly. And so I find that sometimes you can- like you can still do it with the VPN on, but maybe if it's when the connection is kind of broken, like when they want you to, want you to reauthenticate mm-hmm. and rarely is it done. Like you think like exactly 24 hours after your first check-in when you, you know, Oh, it's 24 hours. And I have to do it again. It's just random. It seems yeah. like, Oh, I shut the laptop for an hour, open it up again. I need to reauthenticate. Oh, I, I I've been using it for two days straight without authenticating. Okay. I mean, I've it's run great, into all of yeah. the above, but I got to
0: say, um, my most most common experience is um, the, my original check in time every day.
1: Yeah, um, that you know I've it's, seen it's, that. it's it's a
0: it's a twenty four hour countdown. Um yeah. But yes, I've also seen the really really random stuff too.
1: Random stuff. So that's like the you know that really you're on vacation. I'm trying to minimize the amount of time I spend. On my computer, I have to spend some time on my computer, although there will be consequences. <laughs> and there are certain things I cannot turn off, like YouTube comments, for instance, right. or just people trying to. Even when I put my form on vacation hold and it says "check back next week," people will still use other ways to contact me and ask me questions. Right. So the deal is, is that if I say "nope," I'm not dealing with this while on vacation. The consequence is a day or more of dealing with it when I get back, which tends to erase the vacation. Like, (laughs) oh, I'm so relaxed. This is wonderful. I'm recharged. And then a day of dealing with, you know, eight days worth of comments and all of that, and people angry that you haven't gotten back to them in four days and all this stuff. um, And finding out you got a bunch of spam five days ago and it was sitting there, you know, all that, it will basically erase. You'll be so stressed out by the end of that day that it's like, (laughs) what was the point of taking the vacation? So there's that. But in addition, I'm discovering a new thing um, that is really just bugging me. And that is that some websites and particularly Google, uh, they don't like VPNs and they know when you're using VPNs. Most VPN services, there's almost like two tiers to it. There are Mm -hmm. these VPN servers run by these companies that you don't know about. Right. And all they do is they run VPN servers. Mm -hmm. Their customer, are these names that you know, Mm -hmm. right? The ones you buy, the apps you get. right? And so the the IP addresses are owned by the first tier companies, the ones that own the the servers. And the second tier companies, they're probably all using the same ones. Like whether you go with company A or company B, you're going through maybe the same VPN servers, or there's a pool of several different companies and you're going through two out of three of them or whatever. Mm -hmm. So Google knows who's a VPN and who isn't. And most other companies do as well, and they update these lists. And the reason they do this is because a lot of people don't use VPNs for when they're on vacation or at in internet cafes or whatever, but they use it to do things that piss off Google, like maybe <laughs> you know, uh, look looking through t- you know tons of data, you know, doing a m- million Google searches, um, you know, to to mine information, you know, trying to break into accounts all sorts of stuff, right? VPNs right. are used for that. So what Google does to protect itself, I imagine, is um, they say, oh, you're coming from a VPN? Well, you're more of a security risk. So you know those CAPTCHAs? <laughs> We're gonna show them to you a lot, um, right. just for doing something like a Google search. So I get a question, how do you do this on a Mac? And I'm like, oh, I got to search, what's the name of that thing? And I do a quick Google search, To be, should be a second, I get the answer. I, you know, paste in the link. No, now I'm hit with prove that you're a human identify all the cantilever bridges, whatever it is, (laughs) you know, and, you know, you click on a bunch of things and then it says, Oh, great. Now I'll identify all the fixie bikes. And you um, you do that. And then five minutes later, it's asking you again when you're doing another search. Plus doing something like signing into YouTube or right, to answer the comments and YouTube's like, oh, wait a minute, uh, do us a favor and re-authenticate. Something that at home happens rarely. right? But I was finding I had to do it several times a day, including two-factor authentication. Um, so I kept getting hit with this. And then other different sites I would go to that I Rarely ever have to re-log in or whatever, just constantly getting hit with re because they're probably using libraries and APIs and services that have this built in. Hey, help right. us filter out bad traffic. We'll put these security things in place. And now when I try to go and, you know, check something on some site, it's like, nope, log in again. Like I just logged in an hour ago, you know, so I kept getting that and it's, and it's not like it's been absent before it, this time it was a real time suck. Right And and then it's like, okay, I'm doing the what's supposed to be the right thing. I'm on vacation. I'm using uh, Wi-Fi I do not trust. I'm going to use a VPN. I'm you know, pat on the back. I'm doing the right thing. And you know, companies like Google are saying, okay, we're gonna penalize you for that. Now, is there a solution I don't know? because I imagine if they said, okay, we won't penalize you, then they maybe deal with a lot more stuff. and wow. maybe some of that would trickle down to us and be a pain. Yeah,
0: I think it comes down to, um, I mean, this is something you and I deal with, with our readers and our our questioners constantly Mm -hmm. is the frustration with authentication in general. And I'm not trying to apologize for Google. I'm just going to say that they're fighting a massive problem. Yeah. Um, a really, really hard problem, and that is that all of our accounts are under pretty much constant attack one way or another. And one of their data points, I suspect that, yeah, you know if, if you're coming over a VPN, you are slightly more likely to be um, someone with malicious intent. Um, it's not you know a given, um, but it is a certainly a possibility. Now granted, um, in those cases, all the capture is really doing is slowing you down. Uh, yeah. If you if you are a person trying to do this, what what captures are really intended, of course, to pre- prevent our automated approaches. Um, I, I thought of a couple of questions for you, though. When you mm-hmm. use your VPN,
1: mm-hmm.
0: um, what country do you appear to be coming uh,
1: from? So my initial settings were set it to my hometown, set it to Denver. Oh, okay. And so I don't appear to be anywhere special, right? Um, didn't matter because. I'm suspecting you know, that the servers were on the list, right? So they, I wasn't being flagged as you're out of town. I'm being flagged as you are on a, uh, you know, you're using a VPN server. So presumably, I, so, you
0: would have the same behavior if you use the VPN right now from home. Right,
1: exactly. Yeah. And I, but except I never do. Um, eventually, <laughs> I changed and I said, uh, okay, maybe maybe the particular set of servers in Denver is something that they're having trouble with. So I said, okay, I'm in New York, (laughs) no no difference. Then I said, okay, I'm in California, no difference. So then uh, eventually, and I I should have mentioned this before, eventually I just gave up like the last two days. I was just like, no VPN. (laughs) I'm on SSL, I'm fine. And the problem went away. So apparently it was fine for me to be logging into all my stuff where I usually I'm doing it from Colorado and suddenly be logging in from Spain. Right. That wasn't seen as a threat, but doing it from Denver, but from this list of servers that were VPN servers, that was seen as a threat. And, you know, I, I did actually, I know, uh, you know, out of our listeners, maybe one is thinking of this, Hey, doesn't Google run a VPN service through Chrome? I believe it's like, mm-hmm. a, there's a Chrome VPN. Mm-hmm. And I thought about it for a minute and I thought, well, maybe I should just switch over because I think that's free or something, right? Maybe I should just switch over. And use Google's because surely they won't be doing this if I'm using their VPN. But then I remembered well, one of, the, one of the, the main thing issues I have with privacy is Google itself. So it was well, kind but, of kind of funny, you know, to be using them. But I guess so I would trust them more as a privacy issue than a right. security issue.
0: So, but that actually brings up another um, uh, question rooted in privacy and
1: paranoia. Mm. Um, how, how did you... Privacy and paranoia. That's a great t- a podcast title. <laughs> <laughs> um, how,
0: let's see. How do I want to say this? How did you purchase your tickets and your hotel tickets? Yes. Um, and, um, oh, there was another part to that. But start with that. How did you purchase them?
1: I purchased them through my credit card. I, oh, you mean like, like through did, like...
0: Did you use a site? Um, if so, which site? Or, you know, was it like an airline site or was it um, one of the, the yeah. aggregators like Expedia or was it something like Google themselves?
1: I don't, know. it definitely wasn't directly through Google. It was, it. the hotel uh, was probably purchased directly with the hotel. Um, I do that a lot. I'll use sure. those other sites and go through them. And then when I get everything I want, I'll go to the, the website for the hotel and then purchase directly. Yeah, I do exactly um, so I, the same thing. <laughs> I, I think so. I but And I know for a fact that the flights were purchased through American Express Travel.
0: So the reason I ask yeah. um, is because it is conceivable. Yeah. And exactly how conceivable depends on your level of paranoia. Uh, that Google knows you're traveling, right? Mm. So that they knew that you were in Spain, and therefore it makes sense for you to come, you know, come in from Spain. Whereas, gee, we know you're traveling in Spain. Why are you still in Denver?
1: That seems like that's like a huge leap, though. Because I, I they, get it. Think, I of do, the, but... th- think of the like the I mean the per- the project that they would have to have. It's like let's do this. Let's for all of our Google account users. Let's have a database that tries to look at like signals that they're traveling or where they should be located. And you know, I just don't see that as being something that they would actually do. Um, yet, I know credit card companies do it.
0: They absolutely do it. Yeah. Yeah. In fact, yeah. it used to be you used to have to tell your credit card company that you were traveling. Yeah, I know. And now you don't, right? They I miss they that. know because the...
1: <laughs> I miss doing that because that was like a, I, it was like a no like there was a no downside thing, you know, when a week before you traveled, you called up your credit <laughs> card and it was like you got to brag to somebody. <laughs> I'm going on vacation. I yeah. I wanted to call and let you know. And and it was just like, you know, and, they, and they'd and ask, oh, what dates and where, what countries will you be in and, and all of that. And uh, I don't know, it was just, oh, it's silly, but it was fun. What's,
0: I get it. Oh yeah, I do. I, I, like I said, I used to do that, but I got a, a notice on my, so here, here's the thing. Yeah. In my case, like you, like the last time I went to the Netherlands, I did the same thing. I went to American Express travel. I purchased everything on American Express using my American Express card. Great. American Express knows I'm traveling. Mm-hmm. How did Chase, my Amazon Chase card, know?
1: Oh, because they didn't know they or, they they I mean...
0: presumably knew. Uh, in fact they have told me that no we don't have to we you don't have to tell us right um and there was no caveat that said as long as you pay with our card they didn't say that they just said no you don't have to tell us we we know where you are which mm. is a little spooky and it makes me wonder if again in the name of security there isn't um this this I'll just Calling it an infrastructure makes it seems like, a, like makes it seem like a whole lot bigger than it probably really is. Because honestly, it's fairly straightforward, right? Um, you know, where are you right now? Seems like a very simple piece of information, and the question is, where do you get it from? All you need is a number of cooperating people, and you know, you've got the information. But um, it's just, again, I don't know that it's happening. I don't think that it's happening, but it's within the realm of possibility for sure.
1: Yeah. I, I always just assumed it was something more like, you know, if you had, they first, they, they push aside the charges that are like online stuff, like Amazon. It's like, okay, that's not, you're not obviously not in Seattle buying stuff right now. Right, You're, right. you know, um, so they push and they have, they know when something is like, you're physically at the location, right? You're at a store or whatever right. it is, you're buying something. And if they see, like if, if they saw a purchase for me from Spain and they mm-hmm. looked and they saw that, I, you know, an hour ago, I was purchasing something physically in Denver, right? Then that would be a flag. If right. an hour, if it's been a day, right. And now I purchased something in Spain, then it's like a yellow, yellow flag. Right. And then it, and that's like, you know, a meal. And then an hour later I purchased like at an, a gelato stand, <laughs> you know, then they're like, Oh, okay. He's in Spain, right? Mm-hmm. We've got a couple, we've got a little trail here going. And I just assume that that's how they did it. And it's only if like, no, it's like Denver, and then I bought $500 worth of auto parts in in Madrid, (laughs) and then another purchase in Denver. Then they're like, oh, oh, wait a minute, right? And that's what happens.
0: I also suspect that one of the bigger, biggest signals is um, the old card present, not present charge or uh, characteristic. So if you're in Spain, you're using your card. And by using your card, I mean, you're actually using, in your case, your iPhone. Um, that means right. your iPhone is physically in Spain, uh, which likely yeah. means that you are physically in Spain, which means the signal is much weaker. Whereas if all of a sudden there's a card not present charge in Spain, then that probably gets looked at a little bit more uh, more closely.
1: Right. The only time I actually used a physical credit card was using my Merchant Express at the hotel. Um, which I had already made the reservation through uh, using my American Express, you know, the mm-hmm. first day or whatever. Mm-hmm. Every other time, every other expense was either, um, uh, you know, through Apple Pay, right? Which they know, you know, oh, you're, the phone's physically there. Yeah. Um, and uh, I made a. There were a few cash things. It seemed it was, it was one or the other. It was like either we're going to use the latest, greatest, most secure technology, or
0: it's use cash. The- Oldest possible technology. Yeah, Yeah,
1: the oldest, you know, show us paper money (laughs) notes that, uh, you know, and coins um, that will pay for this thing. And there was like nothing, hardly anything in between. I I suppose I could have used a regular card, but I never had to. Never had to. Small, big shop, a restaurant to the smallest little vendor, um, you know, always Apple Pay.
0: So So, I had a couple of thoughts, a couple of thoughts on this. Um, yeah, I have indeed been seeing an increased occurrence of captures, even when I'm not VPNing. There mm-hmm. are some sites that, for whatever reason, um, throw up captures uh, fairly predictably, actually, um, and I'm not sure why. Uh, they're they're not i mean they're not excessively um, mm. um you know security related they're not you know handling large amounts of money or anything anything silly like that but they just are throwing captures periodically so i wonder if they for example have come under some kind of an automated attack that they're legitimately just having to say you know what sorry guys but we have to protect ourselves uh we have to yeah. protect our infrastructure um and uh, certainly when i was overseas and i did the vpn thing yes um, you know, uh, captures happened. The frustrating ones for me, um, and this is true for captures in general. It's like, okay, um, w- you know, select all the items that have a bicycle. Okay, great. I know what a bicycle is. So this yeah. square over here, it has a small piece of the handlebar. Yeah. Does that count? <laughs> as part of the, as as I, a bicycle or you. not. Right. So it's not that I don't, I can't understand what's in, on the screen. It's that it's, am, what they're asking for is so often ambiguous. Um, there are other captures that I prefer much, much more to that kind of, of picture matching um, scenario, picture identification thing.
1: Yeah. I like the ones where you drag a puzzle piece into position. TikTok does that. Yeah. That's TikTok's yeah. capture.
0: And I actually found that amazingly easy and and uh presumably very effective now of course all of this is coming apart with AI but we'll just not talk about AI this week <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um the other thing I was thinking of is you know okay great if I found myself in this position or it was becoming such an annoyance one of the things that came to mind is could I and I'm inferring could you um instead of, uh, you know, going through a VPN to access all these random services. Could you instead essentially remote desktop to a
1: machine running at home? Oh, oh, I tried. Oh, okay. <laughs> the, the connection was not that, it was not good enough. Okay. okay. I, I did have to do that for, I did actually have to do something use uh, to SFTP into my server <laughs> and make a change on something. Right. Um, an adjustment that i wanted to do i mean if i couldn't do it i couldn't do it but i wanted to do it sure and i it's like and there was no way to do that using a vpn or that because i'm i'm locked down um more or less so i had to go through my computer at home okay yep and so i did use screen sharing mac screen sharing Mm -hmm. to do that and i knew my ip address and i used that and it was painful it's like i needed to change like one line of text (laughs) in a, you know, on the server. Right. And I basically just had to like, let the VPN like connect and, and load the page while I did something else. And then while I was there, I had to like very carefully just <laughs> click on the one button I needed and then go away and come back. You know, and I did it over the course of like 20 minutes while getting ready to do something else. And even like typing the characters without seeing what was going on and then waiting for it to catch up. And then like, okay, command S to save. Okay. It saved to the server check. You know, it was painful. So no, in this case I couldn't have. <laughs> now, but there have been other, other cases right. where I can typically hotels are just not going to ever give you, I mean, I guess there are hotels that cater more towards business people. Sure. Like, I've stayed at them. I, I stayed at a hotel once in Tokyo that was built as a business hotel. Mm-hmm. And up until that point, it was the fastest internet I ever saw. It was <laughs> incredibly fast. Um, I could have done it over that. There, If I went to like a conference hotel, I think maybe they pay more attention because people are there to do right. work stuff and all that. Right. But usually I'm staying at like this was a beach resort, uh, and earlier, well, actually earlier this summer was a beach resort of a different kind, New Jersey instead of Spain, <laughs> um, the, New, the New Jersey coastline instead of the you know Spanish coastline. But the um, but yeah, both cases it's you know more or less one good probably gigabit line shared by all the rooms or, right, right, or yeah. close to all the rooms. And you're just not going to get the speed that you need yeah. to, to. That's really unfortunate. I
0: I did have to do that exactly once. Um, Microsoft specifically has been very problematic um, with overseas travel with people, try you know, people traveling to different places. And um, I had it kind of sort of happen to me at one point. And yeah, my solution was to, um, a, or a, a remote desktop back to a machine at home. Um, and yeah. then, you know, either clear clear the alert or okay the whatever. I mean, you know, do something that basically made
1: it all okay. Yeah, it was great but to have that option, but it's not a way I wouldn't it want to It sounded
0: work. like a painful option. But then again, I, I understand also, you know, if you're at a beach resort, supposedly internet connectivity is not a priority. It's not supposed to be a priority.
1: Yeah, no, I wish, yeah. believe me, if YouTube had an option where I could have you know, said, I'm on vacation, and then somehow like you left a comment, you got a response saying, you know, the channel creator is on vacation and you probably won't get a response for a while. If I could have done the same thing for various other places like Patreon and all of that, mm-hmm. if I could have set that up, I would have. Right. And right. I did set it up for my my forum where I get the longest and you know most time consuming questions to answer. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, it's a it's a problem. I mean it's Definitely a pro, you know, it's like, oh, you know, I sit and make YouTube videos all day. It's not like I work in a coal mine. Um, so, you know, boo hoo, poor me. But it is tough <laughs> as a one person company. Right. Um, you know, I don't have a, an assistant. And even, even if I had an assistant, they still would only be able to handle certain questions. Absolutely. Yep. Cer- certain things. So, yep. anyway. Yep.
0: Yeah. Well, interesting. Interesting. Well, I, 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 yeah. I, I assume that aside from this, um, your uh,
1: uh, your travel was
0: uh, was enjoyable. You had a good time.
1: Yeah, yeah. It was. Uh, yeah, everything went smoothly, and it was nice and and relaxing. Um, but speaking, not speaking of nice and relaxing, <laughs> we, we so last I believe it was our last episode. We briefly started to talk about using passphrases.
0: Yes, instead and I'd like of to, passwords. I'd like to give a little bit of background to where I am today, because yes. Um, uh, One of my more popular and controversial YouTube videos um, is actually an attempt to um, allay the fears of some folks who believe that um, a passphrase, even if longer, Mm -hmm. um, is easier for a hacker to crack because you're using words rather than random characters. Right. And I, yeah. For example, you know, they'd say, you know, 16... Character password of completely random characters. Um, it has to be, by definition, more secure than, say, a 32 character password um, that's made up of five random words, because it's easier to hack five things than it is to hack 16. And the um, uh, you know the upshot is, of course, that it the, the mechanism doesn't necessarily matter nearly as much as the length. Um, right. And my my position, which I, I, if I remember correctly, you'll probably end up arguing with, is that um, the reason passphrases are better, uh, in absolute terms, they just are better, <laughs> is that they make it easier for people to create longer passwords. And it is length that makes by far the most difference when it comes to Uh, the more common types of um, brute force or um, password hacking type attempts.
1: Okay, I'm going to debate that. Excellent. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So, okay, so here's where I'm at. So um, first I'm going to say at the end of this, I'm going to point out one situation where passphrases may actually be better than passwords. Okay. For the most part, in most situations, I don't think they are. Um, So first of all, the, idea, the whole idea of a passphrase is to have a password that you can memorize, right? Correct. That you know. Doing that with a long, say, 12 character, random character, you know, with the symbols and upper yep. and lowercase yep. is very difficult to do. Yep. But doing, say, five words, it's easy to memorize. Yep. Now, I would debate that memorizing a password is a bad idea except for this one case which i'll talk about later Mm -hmm. it's a bad idea and in fact encouraging people to create passwords they can memorize is a bad idea because you should always be using some sort of password manager and you should have the password manager fill in a password that's too difficult for you to memorize correct memorizing encourages two or, or, or enables two attack methods that not that not memorizing d- doesn't have the problem with the first attack method is the reusing of passwords. if you encourage users to memorize passwords you have to go and say okay you memorize a password but don't use that passphrase for anything else yep. except that if you ha- if you influence 100 people to memorize a passphrase, a large number of those 100 are, in fact, going to use those somewhere mm-hmm. else. And when you reuse it, if you're on site A and there's site B and you're using the same passphrase, if site B is compromised, somebody is going to take that password and ID and try it on site A. Mm-hmm. And so reusing passwords is bad. And while technically you can have a passphrase you never reuse, mm-hmm. it incur because you can memorize them, it encourages that. So that's bad thing, number one, about Passphrases. Bad thing number two about passphrases is phishing, because if you have a memorized password, you're more susceptible to phishing. If you need to use a password manager to enter the password, in, the password manager is going to say, "Hey, what are you talking about? I don't know anything about, you know, Google with two zeros instead of two O's or something. Right, you know, right. something you didn't catch." Um, whereas memorization, you can't, you don't catch that. You happily type in that passphrase that you've so proudly memorized. And now you've just been a victim of phishing. So the whole idea of past phrases equals memorization. Memorization makes you vulnerable in two ways that you normally wouldn't be. Um, That's bad. That's the two ways that past phrases are bad. Now, um, the uh, the thing is, is that people say, you know, okay, length, but you know, past phrases give you all of that length. So, and it's true that a brute force attack on something that's 32 characters long because it's a passphrase versus 12 characters, is uh, it's going to be more successful against the 12 characters. Um, But there are a few things about that. Uh, One is that, of course, if the brute force eventually, and it may may already be there, if there are some brute force techniques that are expecting passphrases, then they're not looking at 32 characters. They're looking at a series of words. And with AI, that's actually becoming more possible now. I don't know if it's being done anywhere, but it's definitely more possible today to have brute force attacks that are saying, let's brute force, but you know, sometimes we'll look for characters, sometimes we'll look for whole words. And when you uh, do that, you keep in mind that a lot of the numbers I tried to look up online, like where do these numbers come from about how difficult it is to uh, break passphrases. And a lot of them are based on the fact that there are lots of words. But yes. in truth, there aren't as many words as you think. Uh, people are usually really surprised. This is this is uh, my experience from building word games. When I build word games, I have to do things like I've built dictionaries to be so you you can enter a word into a word game and it can tell you yes this is an actual word. In order to do that, you need to look it up in the dictionary. And you may think, well, what's the problem? You have a list of all words ever created. And you enter it in and it looks it up in this list. Well, the problem is like on a mobile phone app or on a you know a web-based game, that is prohibitive. It takes a long time to do. And sometimes in some games, you need to do it a lot. Like sometimes you need to do it with every character typed or you need to do it like to generate a game board. You may have to do it thousands of times looking up words to see, you know, is is valid word is a function I've written over and over again. So you come up with these really clever ways to basically have words broken down. Like you don't have one list, you have 26 lists, one for each letter of the alphabet. Mm-hmm. Every word that begins with A is in the is in the A list. But the A list isn't one list either. The A list is 26 lists. So you have a list for AA, a list for AB, A B, list for A C, et cetera. And as a matter of fact, the right way to do it is you actually break it down all the way. Every word in some list that's in a sub list of a sublist of a sublist. And that makes the entire thing very compact and very fast. And you but just defined, also... you, you
0: just defined a tree.
1: <laughs> exactly. It's a tree. I don't know if anybody ever understand that. The the <laughs> thing is, is that it makes me acutely aware of how many words there are. And the amazing thing is, is that more or less there are 80,000 words, which seems really small. <laughs> I mean, when you think about it, it's like 80,000, not, that's not a really big number. And 80,000 includes things like obscure medical terms, right. weird spellings of words that nobody uses anymore, things like that. Um, if you really want to break it down, 10,000 words, like if you had an alarm, if your watch had an alarm on it that dinged every time you use something that wasn't the one of the most 10,000 common, most common words you could go days and days. And some people may just go years without ever going outside those 10,000 words, It, which seems really small, but it is. And then if you're asked to actually come up with a passphrase, chances are if you're not even gonna get to the other half of that 10,000 words. You're probably going to be in the first few thousand words. So when it comes down to it, if you work the numbers out, uh, and I used, I looked up some people that did the calculations, then I did it myself to confirm that they were kind of right if you're going to do brute force passphrase attack versus a brute force password attack, then a six word passphrase is equivalent to about an 11 character password. And a four word passphrase is equivalent to about an eight character password. So the characters would be upper and lowercase numbers and symbols. And the words would be the 5,000 most common words. And they're roughly equivalent as far as like how long it would take a brute force attack to succeed. So yeah, anyway, that's whatever. It's, you're probably always going to have passphrase winning, but it's not going to be by much. And the more that their passphrase attacks out there, the less winning it's going to be. Now-
0: Yeah, yeah let me know okay, when I okay, can start you, to rebut because I've, I've been jotting down some notes.
1: <laughs> <laughs> oh, okay. So- um uh, well, I do have other points, but if you have a, a rebut against the math, feel free.
0: Um, so uh, actually, uh, I'm having a hard time finding my article, but the issue of the number of words, I ran into that, actually. The um, uh, the claim is that uh, if you go to the Oxford English Dictionary or something like that, yeah. um, there have been like 100,000 words ever in English. Yeah. Um, yeah. You know, 80,000 is, is a fine number. An average person's vocabulary of words that they probably recognize is on the order of 30,000. Um, and, uh, you know, wh- how many of that they use, who knows. Um, yeah. the, uh, so those numbers are quite in league with, um, uh, w- with what I found. One of the differences, though, is that um, a word mm-hmm. is not a word and by that i mean um if you give it a take a five character word um that is one word but there are still 5 to the 20 no 5 to the uh 52 i think it is possible variations of just that word um cuz capitalization counts right the word is still yeah. made up of characters and the characters still have to match so Um, And while I'm not going to say everybody's going to be doing, you know, all these random capitalizations, when you start to throw in capitalization, um, even at a very simple level, like some words are capitalized, some words aren't, uh, maybe you're you're sneaky and you use trailing caps instead of leading caps. Again, those kinds of things factor in. The other thing that factors in is, again, you're not uh, brute forcing words, you're brute forcing uh, specific instances of words. And um, specific separators, right? Which means that, yep, you could certainly run all your words together. Uh, you could separate your words with spaces or dashes or dots or percent size. So again, you're, you are once again, increasing the, um, the attack surface for, I guess it's not the attack surface, but that you're increasing the the requirement for any kind of a successful word-based attack. Um, and i just i just don't see that you know uh, that's where I, where i question the math right it's not as simple as just qu- comparing words it's comparing right. specific kinds of variations of how the words are typed in and how the words are separated but then um, you're
1: starting to have a hybrid because now you're if you're doing like capitalizing some letters somewhere and then using a dash here instead of mm-hmm. a space or whatever. Now you're starting to get a hybrid, it's a past phrase, but it's kind of also a password. Like it's not as easy as you, I remember these four words right? and I'm, I'm in, right. right? A lot of people use past phrases, and I think a good way to use them, if you're going to want to do it, like I'll explain, you know, there's that one instance, yes. is just all lowercase, just do it. You, you know, you're not holding the shift key, especially like on mobile devices and touch screens, mm-hmm. you're not doing shifts, you're not trying to do special characters, all I need is the letters on the keyboard and a space bar. and I could, and then... By speed of typing becomes you know pretty decent. Mm-hmm. And I don't need to remember that it's a capital C in the middle of, you know, it's the right. second C in accordion that has to be capitalized. So you know, that's just an additional thing.
0: What a number of readers have commented on that video of mine is that um two things. One is you know it doesn't take much for you to be different, right? Mm-hmm. And your difference. Um, you know, consistently across all of your passwords, using one style of difference can be enough to break those kinds of, or at least make those kinds of of hacking attempts, brute force attempts significantly more different. For example, um, say that, you know, my approach to pass phrases uh, is, yeah, they're all lowercase, but I don't use a space. I use a seven. So it's, you know, um, to, to go back to the the XKCD canonical example yeah. of a passphrase, right? Correct horse battery staple. I might say correct seven horse seven battery seven staple. And that makes it trivially easy for me to remember and unique enough that I'm really confident that even a word-based attack isn't going to find it. Um, the other thing I was going to mention is that, to, to be to be clear, one of the things we absolutely agree on Is that, um, if you're using a password manager and you should be using a password manager by far the simplest thing to do, there's no need for passphrases, except in a couple of scenarios. Um, I personally use passwords that are 20 characters long and they don't include special characters, um, unless it's required, right? Which gives me lots of entropy. I'm I'm totally confident that those 20 character passwords are not going to be cracked, you know, anytime soon. Um, there's no need for me to use passphrases on those. However, there are a couple of scenarios where passphrases are going to be really, really handy. And I do have a couple of them.
1: Well, I think that's what I was talking about about the my my case of the one place where it might be.
0: Well, I have it's a multiple yeah. case, it's a multiple places for me. I think I know what yeah. your one place is going to be, but um the my multiple cases are simply this. How many times have you been faced with typing in your Netflix password on a TV oh. screen?
1: <laughs> well, yeah, any, actually any, that any, was one of my yeah.
0: Any yeah. place your password manager doesn't exist. Yeah, it's a case for if it's something you do repeatedly, you probably want something. I'm not even going to say that it's easier to type, but that it is more likely that you will type correctly, and that typically we are better at typing words, And separators, then we are at typing truly random collection of characters. So that's the scenario where I think uh, passphrases really help a lot. And then, yes, in a scenario like that, absolutely. Instead of using my 20 character random password, I would go for something longer. Probably not a lot longer. I'm happy with 25 or 30. But the bottom line is by typing in words, um, I'm much likely to be significantly less frustrated when Netflix actually recognizes me. As opposed to saying, "Oh, you got your password wrong," only to find out that I missed capitalization on
1: one of the interesting, interesting. Because I'm actually, I, I was later on going to make the opposite argument for exactly the same thing for uh, a set top TV box, you know, using a remote control entry of passwords into things like Netflix was going to argue that that's a case where a passphrase it it being long is a Mm -hmm. pain. It's like, hey, I've done my great passphrase. It's thirty-two characters long, and now Netflix is asking me to do it with this little remote control, and I have to get thirty-two characters in there. Whereas, uh, you know, instead I could have like a nine or thirteen character uh, pass pass uh, word that was randomly generated,
0: right? And, and is much
1: for me to type
0: it's shorter and yet it is much more complicated because you'll also be playing with things like the shift key which in some cases is a yes. state which in some cases is not getting to the special characters if you're using any yeah. sometimes that's a separate keyboard sometimes it's not um so it's yeah. it's you know a a, compli- a random password can be complicated whereas like it, if
1: that's yeah. If
0: you if you can dial back the the other requirements and just go for say a um, a twenty five or thirty character password, but it's all lowercase and it's all separated by a single character that's always on the screen, then all of a sudden it becomes actually easier to type than the random stuff.
1: Now, fortunately, we don't have to worry too much about that anymore because things have been improving drastically in the last couple of years. Yes. Uh, for me on Apple TV, anytime I need to enter a pass uh, a password in. Mm-hmm. Uh, my my phone buzzes and the screen comes up. Yes, and I could do it on the phone, which means I could I have the option to actually type it on the keyboard on the phone or use your password I could, manager. I could yep. use the password manager, and but besides that, I actually have a Roku TV in one of my rooms here, and mm-hmm. it's like, well, I can't do it that there. Well, recently I had to go through and kind of reconfigure a bunch of stuff, and in every case, every service gave me the option to uh, validate on my phone or, or computer. Yep. And I said, yep. Oh, give me that. And then all I got is I, I logged in to say, you know, Netflix or whatever it was. And it said, Oh, uh, this Roku TV wants to have access. And I was like, yes, that is me. We're yep. good.
0: Yep. There, there, I absolutely, that's becoming more common and I really appreciate it when it happens, oh, but i yeah, still, I'm still, I, I'm still yeah. running into cases where, you know, the only option is to type a password. Um, and that's, that's painful. Anyway, that's, a, well, that's an argument for, in my case, in, in, in my thinking, that's an argument for, uh, well, here's, for yeah, here's phrases. some more.
1: So here's some more things. So, um, obviously like you mentioned, make your passwords like 20 characters, whatever, if it's in a, if it's in a, um, password manager and you're never typing it, um, then a 20 character password's going to be unbreakable, right? Um, in addition to that, the, um, uh, uh, let's see here. Oh, you—we've got other things that get in the way that a lot of these articles online, maybe because some of them are older, uh, don't really talk about. Like, of course, two-factor. You know, oh yeah, so they can brute force your eight-character password. That's too short. But any character password can be brute force brute force broken, except that if you you know two-factor is going to put an end to that. Um, and the great thing about it is we've got two-factor effortless two factor in a lot of places and effortless two factor is when you've never actually signed up for two factor, but you try to sign into your bank and your bank says, Oh, Hey, it's been a while. Uh, so we've just <laughs> sent you a text message. Right. Right. They're basically saying, yeah, we're doing two factor, even though you never signed up for it. Right. So that stuff is also, it's like, makes all this, this stuff relevant. And the pass, password, passphrase, whatever, it's still going to have two-factor as this kind of other security gate. Plus, a lot of places now, tons of them, in fact, have brute force attacks. So everything we're talking about is like brute force attacking a password as opposed to brute force attacking a passphrase. Uh, most things that are critical now are not going to do a brute force. If you tried, you go to your bank's website, and you enter the password wrong a few times. <laughs> it's going to be like, uh, no, you, you fell, if...
0: you you fell for my trap.
1: Yeah. Your phone, your, no,
0: no, you, you just fell uh, for my trap as a lot what? of my readers do. This isn't about online login. Yeah. This is, this has nothing to do with online login. Okay, This has, this has to do with, um, data breaches where somebody has run off with a copy of the, um, the, the password hash table. And yeah. now they've got the data in a oh. huge file that they can throw all sorts of resources at um, to but, to you know ha- you know to 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 literally brute force um, you know all possible things as quickly as they possibly can.
1: Yeah, but that's not your hash table; that belongs to that company. Yes, is that what you're talking? Yeah. So yeah, but no, but, or but not... the point
0: is that they can they can break the they can break in, right? That all they really need to do is I, sh- I oversimplify this, but but all they technically need to do is start hashing all possible passwords and as soon as they find a hash that matches, boom, they know the password for that account. So they're doing this in data offline yeah. databases,
1: yep, a stolen Okay, databases. so you're not talking about like net your Netflix or your bank or Amazon. Correct. You're talking about like if you store if you have like store like you store your I don't know. No 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 no. I'm I'm talking about
0: if Netflix's database is stolen by somebody. Yes. Then there is no limit other than hardware to how quickly they can run a brute force attack. Yeah, but that's against not that your.
1: Database. That's not your password or passphrase. It's irrelevant whether you used a password or passphrase. It's whether Netflix used. a password or passphrase.
0: No, my password or passphrase is hashed and stored in that database along with my user ID. Right. Then if somebody steals that database, they start trying all possible passwords, hashing it, seeing if the hash matches and if the hash matches for my entry in the database, then they have discovered my password.
1: Okay, I'm not following you there. You, when somebody steals, like if somebody were to steal a service's database, yes, that database would be encrypted. Or are you saying it's not? It's just um, they in have many
0: ca- No, in many cases, the database absolutely is not. Um, we hear about that all the time, where you know, uh, you hear about the breach report, and okay, says you know, they, they walked away with usernames and uh, phone numbers, so and there's pass- one password so there,
1: hashes, so there's one line in that file. That is your ID and your password. Your hashed password. Yes. Your hashed password. Yes. Now they apply, they try to brute force attack that. Yes. All they've got is just this one line. It's got like, it's like 50 characters in it. Right. Right. And so you're saying that just keep brute forcing that one line. And then how do they know when they've succeeded, especially if you have a random password?
0: So. When you create a password and you hash it, there is a specific hash value that gets created Mm -hmm. and that's what's stored in the database. Now the hackers come along and they say, Oh, great. I've got this database of all these usernames and hashes. Let's hash. Let's say they're doing an eight character brute force, right? Let's generate the hash for four A's. Is it in the database? Nope. Let's hash hash. Uh, I'm sorry. Yeah. eight days. Is it in the database? Nope. Is it, you know, then ha- let's hash a, yeah. a, 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 b. They come up with a hash. Is that hash anywhere in the database? Oh, look, there it is. It's associated with Leo's user ID. That means that his password must be a, 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 b because that generated our attempt generated the exact same hash that showed up in the database. And the only way that would happen is if we hashed the correct password. Hmm. That's basically the definition I think of a lot of brute force attempts these days. And so that there, is something they, that can be done offline, um, you know, with with all the computing resources they care to throw at the problem.
1: So they but they would have to do that per account. So if somebody hacked a, a big it's, site and they got a million passwords, right. they would have to brute force attack A million times.
0: It's not quite, not quite. What they would do instead um, is they would essentially generate all of the hash values for all of the possible passwords once, Hmm. right? Um, Essentially generating what's called a rainbow table, right? A rainbow table is a table of here's a password, here's its hash, here's a password, here's its hash for all possible passwords. Then all they really have to do is go through that database and see, okay, is this hash anywhere in the database? It is. It's with uh, Gary's account. We now know his password.
1: Yeah, but that's not the math on breaking. You know, brute force isn't. Let's check the database for this. It's let's let's try to. You know, it's going to take us one millisecond to test this password against this account. Mm-hmm. If there's a million passwords. Mm-hmm. It's going to take more than a millisecond.
0: Now we're we're still we're still we're still missing something here. the The idea is that um, let's see if I can come up with a better way to describe this. Okay, let's look at it this way. Um, you have received a bag of physical keys, yeah, for locks, yeah, and you know that they are associated with. Um no, this is gonna break down. It's gonna break down. I was gonna say, you know that they're associated with the um um with the locks in a
1: storage unit. Storage yeah, A lot of locks to check.
0: There are, but um, and and even better, the keys in the bag, yeah, not all of them actually go to the storage locker. Not all of them apply.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: But every key in the storage locker. Is represented in your bag. Okay, so you go to the first locker,
1: mm-hmm.
0: and you start trying keys until you find one that works. Okay, the key isn't the password; it's the hash.
1: Right. You, but you, so you, if you have a million passwords, you have a million storage lockers. You you're basically trying to brute force attack the first one.
0: The difference is that when you're doing it with password hashes, it's a table lookup. It is not an attempt. You're simply looking to see if two strings match.
1: But which still takes time.
0: Of course. Of course. Yeah. And obviously, that's one of the reasons that, and and to be honest, a million is nothing these days. And that's why password length matters so much. Because when you've got an eight character passwords, there's a fixed number Of possible hashes for all possible character, all possible combinations of eight characters, and that is now within the realm of um, of of checking this way. But if you take it out to ten or twelve or sixteen or twenty, then that number becomes so astronomically large that yeah, this approach doesn't work, and that's why we focus so so much on password length. Length,
1: right? Which we were talking about having password managers. You can generate twenty characters. So so it's... yes so it it comes down to you know if if you really if you if you think that you should have 32 characters then password versus versus pass phrase the password prevents you from memorizing it prevents you from reusing it prevents you from being the victim of phishing mm-hmm. whereas the pass phrase even if you say the number 7 is going to be there instead of a space mm-hmm. you still memorized it yes. now you're going to say, oh, what the hell? I used that same one again. I really like it. It's funny. <laughs> yeah, the crocodile, whatever, you know, whatever the XKCD yep. thing was. It's, so there um, are two
0: other things that came in yeah. uh, from my readers. One is, um, again, you can apply an algorithm in your head, um, You know that makes sense to you. Uh, you know, maybe, especially with a 32 character password, um, maybe the last number of characters is your username or the, the name of the service or something like that that would make it unique. So you're still memorizing the same thing with a rule. And the other one that actually um, uh, I, I thought was kind of interesting, although it wouldn't work absolutely everywhere, um, is to occasionally pick a foreign word. Um, you know, just pick sure. a word from a different language. Um, and especially, especially if that word happens to use um, a non-standard English character, and only if the service you're using the password for um, uh, supports well, that's,
1: those. That's those that. But you still have you still have the problem of remembering not to reuse. Easy yep. for us, not for yep. everybody. And yep. the the phishing risk. Um, you yeah, know, you importantly... do
0: absolutely. You're right. You're right. when you're typing in your own password, you are co- explicitly sidestepping the additional protection of a password manager to identify phishing. Right
1: now, I did mention. Um, okay, so the brute force. Timeout stuff. I was definitely thinking not about those hashed, you know, massive data breaches, mm-hmm. but more about somebody just, you know, using a zombie bot farm to try to open up, uh, you know, pass uh, Facebook accounts or something like that.
0: Which is happening um, anyway, right? That's happening too. It's just incredibly unsuccessful. I don't know if you've hike. ever done it. Um, if you happen to have, I remember doing this years ago on one of my when I when I had an, uh, an Ask Leo server hosted somewhere else. Mm-hmm. Um, I was just watching the system log Mm. and I would see a very slow, very persistent, this username failed to log in, this username failed to log in, this username. And it was constant. Um, And all they were doing was a very, very slow automated brute force attempt. Um, And all it really has to do is work occasionally for it to be valuable.
1: Yep. Uh, and but it's getting you know these services are getting better at saying yes. you know five five attempts and or you know and there's a delay yep. or uh, you have to you know it triggers two factor or yep. you have to do something else. Anyway, there uh, so getting finally to the one case where it might make sense to use a passphrase. It does. Um, it does. There's your there's no matter how many services you have under the umbrella of your password manager there's always got to be at least one that's outside that your your main password your root password now sometimes like i i for a password manager i've got a nice long password for that but i rarely have to enter it enter it in because i've got it set up so that i could use biometric stuff you know to to get through most of the time but and then the For the stuff built into, say, macOS, there's a password manager built in, it really comes down to your login ID. And even if your login ID was not tied to your password manager using one separate, you still need to log into your Mac before you can get to your password manager. So, And the same thing for a passcode or password for a phone or a tablet. Um, This one is one where you have to memorize it. So in this case, you may be looking at... Uh, a, a good case for a pass phrase, and uh, and I can't argue as much about it because the whole password manager thing falls apart because you do need to have that in your head. Right. However, there are still some things to weigh back and forth. Like one of the things is is that you and I we're pretty decent typists. I mean, we're not typist typists, right? We're not like the <laughs> secretarial pools from years ago right where they could type an incredible number of words per minute we are but we're pretty fast and we sometimes forget that there are plenty of people that are good computer users that love using their computers but they're hunt and peck fingers at a time yep (laughs) and typing five words every time they need to log into their computer it's it could be a bit much (laughs) so there's that a way there's um uh, always on the other end of the scale there's the idea that you you have two factor in most cases with a computer because you need physical access. Yes. Yes, you can set up your computer to have remote access and then that same password gets you in. But for most home users, they can and do have remote access disabled. There's really no reason for most people. Not, exactly. You know, obviously for yep. you and me there is, but they, so So you've got physical access, so that way is on the other side saying you don't have to be as cautious because somebody needs to have physical access. They can't break into your computer from uh, around the world. Um, Another thing to consider is when there is that one password and you're using it to log into your computer, uh, you're doing it often, which makes it easier to memorize. Memorization is tough when you need to use it every two weeks. Memorization becomes a lot easier if it's a random password and say, 13 characters long, and it's got some numbers and symbols, and your password manager gave it to you as a random password. It's not that hard to memorize when you enter it in every day, several times a day. Like, yeah, you're going to have it written down on a piece of paper (laughs) on your desk in in your secure home, hopefully, uh, for the first week or so. But then eventually it's going to be in your brain, and it will be memorized.
0: I'm going to disagree with that. I'm going to say that um, a 13-character random password is something that uh, most people, uh, even if they have to type it in every day,
1: yeah. will
0: not memorize. They will type it in wrong more often than not um, mm. to their to their frustration.
1: Yeah, I, I don't know. I think if, if you do it enough, and eventually your brain, it, obviously your brain is not really memorizing 13 characters. Right. Your brain's grouping them.
0: Right, which is, and- you know what? And if you're grouping them, why not group them into words?
1: Well, that's well. There you go. This is a scale. <laughs> so that you're, then you're
0: remembering instead one, of remembering one way or thir- the other. Instead of remembering thirteen yeah. different things, you're remembering five different things that just happen to be comprised of more than five, you know more than one character.
1: Right. Now, another thing on that scale, of course, is that this is all being made easier with biometrics. Yes. Right. So the idea that like in the Apple ecosystem, you've got all your MacBooks with Touch ID now. And of course, for a while now, you've got phones and tablets with either Touch ID or Face ID. Mm-hmm. And then even now, all the desktop Macs come with keyboards that have Touch ID I and mean, you can opt for the cheaper keyboard without it. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, at this point, biometrics means that you can have that 13 or 16 character random password as your right. login. Right. It's on a post-it note in your desk drawer where nobody else can get to it because your front door is locked, apparently. Or, you know, <laughs> and um, and you occasionally do need to enter that, right? But most of the time, it's thumb on the on the uh, touch ID uh, or face ID on your phone or whatever. So that that just like we were talking about before, things are easier. Like on your TV now, it's all authenticate with your computer and all. It's things get easier. It's also getting easier for these computer logins. Um, instead of typing that password many times a day uh biometrics takes care of it so yeah so there you go so that's that's my that's my thing there there might be one good case uh <laughs> where i wouldn't i wouldn't i don't do it myself i have a long and uh, apparently according to you impossible to memorize but i do have it memorized password <laughs>
0: You're <laughs> um, a better, better man than I. Um, well, no, I mean, just, it's
1: it's just from repetition. I didn't try. I understand. That's I, understand. I get it. I I'm never tried the, to memorize it. Looking at the yeah.
0: people that I interact with who are in these kinds of situations and I think, are they ever going to be able, No, They have enough t- trouble just remembering the one password that, you maybe, know, Maybe is, is, it, there, and, is their pet's name or something like
1: it, that. Yeah, having it. And a lot of people think, you know, the thing is like, oh no, I shouldn't. Having it written down, that's a real, that's a problem. Not if it's secure, right? I mean, if it's in your home, you know, somebody has to break in. Right. And I'm not saying, you know, put a post-it note on your computer screen that says password dash and then the password clearly <laughs> printed out there. I'm saying, you know, you have it somewhere where it's not obvious to see. And somebody would have to break down your front door, pick the lock to get in. And they're probably not there to break into your computer unless you oh, work yeah. for the CIA or you know, you're <laughs> running for president or something like that.
0: I feel another interesting debate coming up in a future episode because uh, very coincidentally um AARP magazine, yes, I'm a subscriber, um <laughs> has a periodic technology section and they there was a headline on the recent magazine that said hey you know managing passwords we have the answer. Oh. Um so f- of course I was just wondering which which solution would they pick.
1: Yeah, the answer, huh? the Wow. The
0: answer and the answer. the answer is to write them down. um, and that just annoyed me no end. So I've got an article coming up um um refuting that from my perspective. it is um, it
1: is to be fair, a answer It is for, a really bad answer <laughs> for for the not for the I would argue not for the it's a person to person thing. and there were people that you were mean. you would say that definitely you would say the best solution for you yes is you should have a physical copy of the password somewhere written down not for certainly not for me or you not for most people i know but there are some people where it's like all right this is what you're gonna have to do um because the other solutions have issues for them
0: right and write, anyway, we could writing that. it down has some issues. And I agree that that security, actually, home security probably isn't one of them. As long as it's not a post-it note on your monitor. Um, you know, being secure at home isn't necessarily it's the red herring of issues when it comes to writing things down. There's some other issues. Anyway, we've yes. debated passwords long enough for today. Long enough. Ugh. And I don't think we actually came to any any agreements. I think we just aired a lot of different positions on, uh, on exactly right. what what is and isn't good. And hopefully, regardless of what our listeners choose to do, they'll be making slightly more informed choices and doing something that they feel is work. You know, will work for them. Be it mm-hmm. be it long complex passwords or passphrases or what. Yep. <sighs> Ain't it cool? Time for that. Um, yeah. So I've got two things this week. Uh, just because you know it's been a couple of weeks, so I doubled up. One of them um, actually is kind of techie related, and that is the Hacking Humans podcast. There'll be a uh, a link to it in the show notes. It's actually one of the podcasts by a group of uh, a podcast family called the CyberWire. What this is is this is a couple of folks, um, not unlike you and I, actually, who sit around and talk about. Uh, how the the latest kinds of threats that are actually impacting uh, individuals and companies. Um, A great example is that in the most recent issue, one of the hosts himself uh, described how he had in fact fallen for a phishing phishing attempt Mm -hmm. Um, or no, it wasn't a phishing attempt. It was, um, um, he clicked on an ad and didn't realize it um, and ended up giving his credit card to um, a third party that he should not have given his credit card to. Anyway, they discussed this kind of thing, the kind of things that's going on currently. Um, that I think is is just interesting if you're into um, understanding what kinds of threats, what kind of techniques hackers are using these days. So that's the hacking humans podcast. Ultimately, that's what's really happening with most uh, most attacks these days. Um, you know, choose whatever password you want. Uh, chances are the most likely vector of actually getting compromised is that you will have been tricked into doing something you probably didn't mean to do. The other is um a uh, a limited series on Amazon called Dead Still. And what got me, it's, it's a British uh, series. Uh, what got me was that you know that it's about what they call post uh, post-mortem photography. Apparently at the dawn of photography, one of the things that was fairly common was to actually take pictures of the recently deceased and often with uh, the surviving family members around. Uh, and when you think about it, at that time, photography was such that you had to hold still for a very long time. There were no action shots. And if you didn't have a picture of somebody that you wanted to have a picture of and they had passed away, well, they're not moving. So you're going to get a, a pretty reasonable photograph. The interesting thing about this, though, is it actually turns into a, a bit of a murder mystery type scenario um, involving uh, some of the early techniques of photography that I just found fascinating. I found
1: it interesting. Interesting. Yeah, Um,
0: it's a a six episode um, limited series from, I think, about three or four years ago already. Um, But like I said, I just found it interesting. And being a photographer, being, you know, having that in my background, uh, it was kind of fun to watch.
1: Cool. Uh, I am rejoicing because the game I've been waiting for for years is finally here. Sort of. It's Baldur's Gate 3. And I played the others in the series, even the ones that don't have names like Baldur's Gate, like Neverwinter Nights. Um, They're basically they are really good uh, computer games that are official Dungeons and Dragons games. Um, And uh, Baldur's Gate three, of course, is latest and greatest with all the new tech and technology. It's been going uh, on. It's been on development for years, and I've resisted playing the alpha or beta version Mm -hmm. that has been available. Um, Well. Kind of. So what I did was they had a big release date. Everybody was talking about it. Social media was a buzz. I was on vacation. So I was like, all right, I'm going to get back. I'm going to try this. And one of the first things I did was spend the money, buy the thing, and go ahead and download it, 80 gig download, and then launch it to only find out it's the beta version. What's going on? (laughs) Well, of course, I was downloading the Mac version because it's Mac and Windows. And I found out, oh, the Mac version doesn't come out until September. Um, (laughs) It's a slight delay. So I said, Rar, you know, I've got, I have a license to play the game. I bought it on Steam, um, and then I saw that I could play it. And we, we've talked about this before. GeForce Now, Nvidia's GeForce Now, is a service where you can stream uh, your game online. So you're actually playing on a game machine somewhere else in the world, huh. and the video output is being streamed to you, mm-hmm. and the, your keyboard input is being streamed there, and the game isn't actually installed in your computer at all. So I installed the eighty gig. <laughs> mac version that was the beta version and mm-hmm. we we'll download it again once it's out the actual thing and instead uh since i paid for the game anyway logged in and r- i'm running the windows version using nvidia's geforce now i went for the highest tier service twenty dollars a month because what the hey, um uh, which gets me a fantastic machine 4k streaming and no waiting or anything like that right. uh and it's and it's fantastic and, the, and the, so i'm enjoying starting the game and it's a game i will be playing for many many months if not more than a year depending upon how much time i have each week to to a lot to it um it's a big big game right. and um but it's amazing that i went from the option of an 80 gig install playing it on all my one mac in my office right to oh well if i do it this way um now i have absolutely nothing installed on my computer and it's just as easy, and I've already done this, to be able to play it on my MacBook Air right. while sitting in the other room or anywhere in the world. And it's like, well, so I, I, I don't know if I will install the Mac version. Right. It's like, I don't know if there's enough upside. I mean, because the graphics look great. I mean, I assume they'll look better if I'm doing it on my Mac here. But yeah, it's kind of, kind of interesting. It's like, well, maybe the I... Only- the only concern
0: i would have doing it that way um yeah. and i'm sure they must have addressed this is lag um yeah. you know the, the, there's a there's a significant guess, difference between between the thing running on your machine and the thing running you know a thousand miles away there's 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 propagation I can't,
1: <laughs> I can't now now granted this is a for the most part turn-based game right when you're in combat it's dungeon dragons you know it's your turn roll for initiative all that uh, stuff
0: right okay. So okay.
1: while stuff is happening and you definitely, like I can, if I'm moving around in the train and exploring, I can click over here and my character is moving. I can click somewhere else and I could spin the camera around and, and zoom in and zoom out and do all that. And I'm not seeing any lag when I do that. Cool. Like there obviously is millisecond lag, but so that's, I mean, that's where I'm not. It's not like I have to wait. If I sp- want to spin the camera to see what's behind me, it seems to be reacting as if it's running on my that's computer. That's impressive. Yeah, it's very, very impressive. I did it. I used it before and I talked about it. It was probably more than a year ago. Right. Um, but this is the, yeah, this is the first time I've, uh, I've been using it recently and it's fantastic. And if you think about it. So now I can play, I can't play any PC game, right? It's got to be from a certain list of games, but the list is huge. And it mm-hmm. mostly, it's mostly any game that's on Steam, which, you know, any PC game, uh, most of them are going to be on steam now. Um, and 20 bucks a month. I mean, I'm playing on a pretty good gaming rig. So is that 20 20 bucks a month, month.
0: 20 bucks a month for the rig that you can play any number of games on, or is it 20 bucks a month for this game on that rig?
1: No, just the the rig. So I could, I could have seven different games that I play. I buy the games individually, just like you would normally.
0: Right, right.
1: And and now they're in my library. And matter of fact, I think there are a few games you don't have to buy if you're paying for Steam. Like they're a little like bonus. Oh, sure, bonus, get this for free. But for like a game like this, I pay the money just like I would if I was downloading it to my local machine. And then twenty bucks a month. So twenty bucks a month, it's two hundred and forty dollars a year. I'm playing on a, I forget, but they they—they made a big deal about what the $20, their top tier, get you this gaming rig. And it's like, oh, that's probably impressive. I don't know. Um, <laughs> they they seem to be talking about it in terms that would make me think it's impressive. I'm sure it cost me more than $240. I'm right. sure it cost me more than four times $240. Right. But the difference being is uh, probably four years from now, I won't be playing on this I'll be playing on whatever is cool for you ne- from now. next gen. Yeah. Question so, for you yeah. on the on
0: the D and D side: Have you ever played uh, Dungeons and Dragons online? Uh, there's, a, there's an MMPRG that is literally no. Dungeons and Dragons. Okay. No, I have a I, friend. Uh, yeah. I have a friend who's who's deeply invested in that. He's been doing it for. That's a when years, you're you're playing with other
1: people and you're doing a scenario and like yep. there's the yep. DM. No, there's and, quests.
0: Yeah. No, there's no DM, but there's it's basically um, um, you know exploratory quests um, that yeah. kind of stuff. Uh, apparently. Uh, tightly tied into the D&D world. Um, And it it also is an official D&D type thing.
1: Right. Yeah. So, I mean, you could do some of that here because you can go through the story and have other people, you know, um, with you in your your party. I haven't even looked into that because that's not something I'd be doing. This is like when I have, oh, it's the end of the day and it's still you know yeah, I, 30 I was minutes doing exa- before dinner
0: exactly yeah. the same thing with uh world of warcraft when i was right. playing it it was like it's designed to be multiplayer you're designed to to do teams and do massive quests with lots of people yeah i just soloed <laughs> it's just yeah. that's that you know my that's my schedule that's how it worked
1: well the great thing is is that with a uh, game like this you're not uh you know the the story everything is paused if i'm not playing Right, right. Like I could be in the middle of a conversation with, you know, whatever I'm doing, and I'm just like, nope, I have to, you know, stop right now. And then I could be two days later pick it up, and it's like I'm right there. So interesting. It's more of a traditional game instead of World of Warcraft, where the world would have moved forward two days while you're you're not there. That's
0: funny. I haven't played it probably now in a year and a half, maybe two years, and I was just looking at an advertisement for their next big release. And oh yes, the world the world has definitely moved forward. Yeah. All righty, uh, in terms of self-promotion this week, again, uh, you know, you've know, you talked about G-Force now previously. Well, I'm going to resurface an article that I think uh, you and I might both agree needs periodic resurfacing. What information should I provide when asking for help? Askleo.com slash 30545. Um, I just got frustrated again this week when I got another series of it doesn't work kind of questions, and uh, I found myself bringing this up, refreshing it a little bit, and um, uh, reposting it. So if you're going to ask somebody for help, be it Gary, be it me, be Mm -hmm. it anybody else, um, please take a few minutes and review the kind of information that you could provide them so that they can do a better job of helping you and potentially more
1: quickly. Yeah. Um, Let me ask you a question, Leo. What would Uh you do if you found a lost iPhone? You're in a restaurant. You notice sitting there in a chair, somebody's left their iPhone. What do you do?
0: What would I do? Uh, So to begin with, I know nothing about iPhones, right?
1: Okay, or an Android phone. I I would...
0: Oh, for an Android phone, um, phone. I would probably uh, bring up the presumable lock screen. And I believe there's an emergency or info access button that's available there that could... Say uh, nothing
1: that me, you don't have time. You don't have time for that. You, know, you don't, it's nothing comes up right away. Now, what do you do?
0: Um, if it's an iPhone, I'd probably take it to my local Apple store. If it's an Android, I'd probably see if I could figure out the carrier and take it to the local carrier.
1: Wrong. Okay.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Good. Tell me no. what What should I have done?
1: Okay. So a, I read a lot of blog posts telling you to do things like what you said uh-huh. or... For some reason, a ton of people suggest take it to the local police station. I don't know about you, but if I lost my iPhone, I would not. It wouldn't occur to me.
0: No, no. To go to my local
1: police station and be at the front desk of the police station and say somebody turned in an iPhone. So some (laughs) of the some of the one of the most important things to do Uh is the most likely place the person is going to look for it is where they think they may have lost it, which is probably where they did lose it. Mm -hmm. Turn it into a person. Of some authority at that location, a restaurant, turn it into the host. Well, or the waiter. See, here I thought
0: you were coming at me as a techie, right?
1: Okay, okay. Okay. I've got a phone, and
0: I have a certain set of skills. What would I do with those skills? No, you're absolutely right. A lot of people,
1: so many people, will take the phone away from where it was. Right, and. One of the reasons they are doing that is because there are tons of blog posts online that tell you ridiculous things to do with them, like taking it to a police station or, right. you know, oh, take it to your local, uh, you know, uh, AT&T or, you know, here's how to identify if it's an AT&T phone. Take it to right, AT&T. Right, and right, right. yep. It's like, who has time for that? Number one. Number two is the person is not going to go and say, hey, I I frequently visit the AT&T store down the street from me. No, of course they don't. And they're gonna not going to go there looking for it. Um, yeah, take it. So I go through the steps and I do talk about the things like how to, you know, where to find the emergency contact information on the screen. What, hey, what if you found it in the park, right? There's no place to take it. Right, right. Uh, should you try, decide to take it home? All sorts of stuff. I have this video that goes through, you know, basically what is, what's the much more common sense way to do it uh, than a lot of these articles that seem to be written by journalists who were giving it that as an assignment in the morning and told to turn it in by noon. Um, (laughs) You know, so anyway, link to that.
0: Alrighty. Okay. I'm going to, now I'm going to have to take a look at my phone and see, okay, if somebody finds this, what can they find? Yeah, yeah.
1: exactly. That's always, that's a good thing too. There's
0: that button. Interesting. There's a few things they might be able to figure out. Yeah.
1: Another thing to consider is the fact is that if somebody loses an iPhone, they may not think that they've lost it. They may think somebody stole it from them, right? So right. if you say, I'll take it home, I'll have it in the house, they'll use find my iPhone. And then, well, what happens if they show up at the door with police? Exactly. Hey, yep. thief, yep. <laughs> you stole my iPhone and it's in my house. And it's like, oh, it never occurred to me that you would think that. And it never occurred to them that you were just a good Samaritan, right? So how do you deal with that situation? Right,
0: right. Uh, I'm going to have to watch your video and figure out what I'm going to do.
1: Yeah,
0: I think that pretty much wraps up our return. And, you know, we went extra long today. It was an
1: extra, extra uh, long podcast to make up for.
0: Which kind of makes up for um, um, not being here the past couple of weeks. As always, the show notes for this week will be at tehpodcast.com slash teh201. If you've got a comment or a question for us, leave a comment on the show notes page. We absolutely get them. Hey, thanks as always for listening, and we will see you here again real soon. Take care, everyone. Bye-bye.
1: Bye.